0: and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting
1: with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the podcast where you will get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and keep you informed about what's happening in the industry. This episode is sponsored by FullBay. If you own or operate a heavy-duty repair shop, you should check out this game-changing cloud-based solution. And you really can have it all. Efficient text, faster invoicing, better inventory tracking, and more time with your family. To learn more, go to FullBay.com H-D-P-R. That's FullBay.com H-D-P-R today. When I think of what has made humans successful, I think of people working together. And in the trucking industry, it's really no secret that for many years it has been predominantly men working in the industry. But in recent years, we've seen that start to change, but could we do more? We've seen more women joining the industry in many capacities, and I think that's a good thing. As a father of a 15-year-old little precocious girl I want her to have every opportunity possible when she enters the workforce. But is there more we can do to encourage women to consider a career in trucking or some of the related industries to the trucking industry, like the heavy-duty parts industry? Today, I would like to introduce Shelley Juvenile-Hesch, CEO of the Women's Trucking Federation of Canada, and Shelley has also been a professional driver for the last 30 years. Shelley, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Jamie.
1: What made you decide to become a professional driver?
0: To be honest with you, it wasn't my first career choice. Um, I grew up the daughter of a truck driver, so I've always been involved with the industry, and I was always fascinated. Uh, I spent weeks with my dad, and it was always the highlight of my summers. Um, It wasn't until later on uh, I got the itch to travel and decided that it was uh, time to change careers.
1: So... Once you actually became a driver, what were some of the barriers that you faced as you entered into the industry?
0: I Personally, I didn't have a lot of barriers when I first came in. Um, I did a lot of hands-on training. Uh, I didn't go to a training school like a lot of drivers do now or have to do now uh, because of mandatory entry-level training. I actually learned hands-on. Uh, I had many teachers. Um, they were drivers that I worked with. Uh, They were friends of my father's. um, And you either did it right or you got your hands locked.
1: So in 30 years, you've driven a lot of different vehicles. Tell us about some of the different types of vehicles that you've driven.
0: I started off my career driving a school bus uh, because I still had to be home for my kids. Um, As I got older, I specialized a little bit more. I went into dealing with special needs kids. So I, I downsized the bus size, but I went into more of a personal connection uh, with the students on my bus. Uh, I did a couple of years driving a coach. And then I just decided that I was getting a little tired of people. So uh, I started, I went to uh, a company in Cambridge called MacArthur Express. I started there driving a straight truck. And I said to them, I really want to get my A. I don't want to be stuck in this little truck all the time. Um, So I started training there, which uh, probably lasted for a good five, six months. Uh, with the different uh, drivers in the yard, uh, with the mechanics, uh, learning everything from yard safety to load securement. I've learned so much from those guys. Um, and then I eventually got my A and I haven't looked back.
1: What is it that you enjoy the most about being a driver?
0: I like driving around and meeting different people um, and the scenery. Uh, I enjoy when I go to a shippers and they actually have the time and and you learn about what they do, what they make. Uh, where they live, their their culture and their area, um, and different struggles that they have in their jobs. Um, because normally, as drivers, they you know we all whine and complain about a shipper or a receiver. Uh, but sometimes it's it's really good. Sometimes if you just take the time to hear what their problems are, um, and I also like it when I go into different shops along my way, um, whether I'm looking for new chrome and chicken lights for my truck or whether I've broken down. Um, And I get to talk to the uh, diesel technicians and the service techs behind the counter. So,
1: Okay, so that triggers in my mind, you know, for everything that's good about a job, no job is perfect. What aspects of trucking present a challenge, especially from your perspective?
0: A lot of things, we have issues with just the size of the truck. Um, And that's, you know, some people say that that's just a woman's issue, but anybody can be vertically challenged. So uh, sometimes, you know, the engineering, the design, uh, you have to think to yourself, did they design this for a giant? Uh, Because you can't reach a button or your mirrors don't adjust right or the seat just doesn't move up enough. So, you know, we have those little challenges as well. We have some OEMs that are, are trying to work on those issues, but we still have a long way to go in the actual designing of the interior of a truck.
1: I guess when those uh, engineers were looking at demographics, they're thinking, okay, so if there's a man and he's six two and he is, you know, like three hundred pounds, he's a big, square-shouldered, big guy with long arms. We got to make it so that he's not cramping up. And then the opposite happens. We see more people of different different sizes, different backgrounds, whether they're men, women, doesn't matter. But uh, then they're all of a sudden, now we've got those people who, like you say, are having some issues. So you say that's changing. Like, when did that start to change?
0: I think Ellen Voy from Women in Trucking, um, she really started that movement to change some of the interior with Peterbilt. Um, so they are starting to make some headway, but there's still a lot of things that we can uh, we can do. I'm probably sure you're familiar with your car and your seatbelt. So, if you're a taller person, you can move that up. And if you're shorter, you can move it down so it's not cutting you across your neck. Uh, Well, in a transport, you do not have that option. They are standard mounted. Now, they do make them so that we can make them looser and clip them down. Uh, But when you are too short, that seatbelt then becomes too loose. So, you are now not safe because you're still going to smack off the steering wheel. Uh, And in my case, being 411, that seatbelt cuts across my neck. So generally, I have to have something on the seatbelt that prevents it from cutting me.
1: Okay. So those are things that, you know, probably off of a person, if you ask them, like, what, what are people facing in the trucking industry as challenges? That's not the thing that would come to top of mind. But I can see how since you're in your truck all day long, and that's your job, it's going to impact you. Definitely. When it comes to the financial side of being a professional driver, have you seen where going in that career could actually help to raise the the income levels of people? Like what's your perspective there?
0: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, bottom line, minimum wage um, for the industry, a driver can start at about $55,000 a year and work their way up, uh, depending on what they're hauling and the length of time that they want to be out. So this is a very lucrative career. Um, You know, it requires a a minimum education. Uh, You can do a lot of learning on the job. Uh, So I think, you know, for a career choice for a lot of people, uh, it's a good one. Uh, I know drivers that are out here, they are the only income coming into their house. It's allowed either their wife and in some cases their husband to stay at home and look after the children. So you can uh, do very well uh, in a career in trucking.
1: So to put that into perspective, I've done some research on this. In Canada, the average uh, mean salary of a person with a four-year bachelor in Canada is only $48,000 a year. Now, that's the average. Of course, if you specialize and you go to school longer, you may end up with a career where you're making like a dentist or something and you're making much, much more than that. But the average—that means some people make less than that with a four-year bachelor. And so, when you say a minimum education, what you mean is—is is that like if you have a high school education and then you go into uh, some sort of there's a there's a course now that you have to take right to become a professional driver. But you, the entry is like what a high school, or is it less than that even?
0: It can be even less than that, though. The industry is gearing people more towards the grade twelve, um, or at least a proficiency in the English language at a grade. 12 grade 10 level, uh, so that you can read and understand the documents. Uh, but we're, we're pushing more towards becoming a, a recognized as a professional skilled trade. So I'm sure that as that goes along, uh, it's going to be anything like it's the same as a welder and different things like that, wanting you to have that at least grade 12 or equivalent.
1: Right, so becoming a professional driver would be kind of like an equivalent of having a trade uh, like a red seal. That's is that where it's going where there'll be an apprenticeship program or is it still going to just be the the schooling?
0: No, that's no, we are pushing very hard for red seal designation. Quite often, you know, people refer to us as professional drivers when it comes to regulations or making a mistake out on the road, you're a professional driver, but we're not respected as a professional. Uh, in a lot of cases, we're still very much classified as just a driver. Uh, what do you know? You're just a driver. Uh, we have a lot of drivers on the road right now that are university educated. Uh, the level of education in some drivers would probably blow you away. We have some that have PhDs but have chosen this career. So, you know, the terminology really upsets a lot of us that have been out here for a while. Um, the level of training um, really upsets us. It's not anywhere adequate. It needs to be improved. And I know we have mandatory entry-level training here now in the province of Ontario. Um, Alberta has it now, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And it will be mandatory nationally come Jan- uh, this month, actually. But we still have a long way to go. Um, we need more training. Uh, it's the only way we're going to improve what's happening out on our highways. And that training also includes four-wheelers. We have a lot of cars out here that there is absolutely no training being done around cars versus a large commercial vehicle, uh, especially in the roundabouts. Cars will try to come around. They do not fit with us and most of them. So we need to do a lot of education to the general public um, as well as truck drivers in general.
1: I know my uh, my favorite uh, example of of a safety issue is in. I lived in Vancouver for 19 years, and I was commuting all the time. I was in sales, so I was driving all the time. And I remember when I was just starting in that, my mentor, who was been in trucking and heavy duty parts his whole life, he said, "You know that space between a big 18 wheeler and the car in front of it? That's not for you to slide into that lane. That's a safety distance so that they don't rear end someone in the event of an emergency braking situation." But I saw that happen over and over and over t- again to the poor, poor truck drivers who then they have to you know they have to back off and back off. And you think to yourself, you're in this small little car and you're pulling in front of this big truck and if there's an emergency, they're gonna crush you. Like why would you do that? But it's just a lack of really understanding, I think of, of uh, safety and, and of what is involved in stopping a rig of that size with that much weight.
0: Yeah, that's a big concern. I mean, if you take any day down in Toronto, uh, where you know, you're know five lanes of traffic and that car in the far left lane just shoots across because they've gone, oh my God, oh my God, there's my exit. And they don't think, they cut cars off and they cut in front of that truck. Um, we take a lot longer to stop. And it seems uh, the more and more we try to give more and more space, more cars just think it's permission to cut in front. And in some cases, I've had that car cutting in front of me and I'm looking in my mirror and the car behind me is so close. That if I hit the brake, they're going to ram into the back of me. So you're leaving drivers sometimes with a very uh, awkward situation of, okay, do I hit the brake or do I hope this little car is going to speed up enough that I don't hit it?
1: But with education and with more work done to to educate not just the professional drivers, but also the public in general, this is a problem that we can we can address. Do you feel that way?
0: Yes, yeah, so it is a problem we can address. It's very easy, and I think... More public awareness campaigns need to go out, um, and we also need to make it uh, a mandatory part of driver training uh, for cars, that they're learning about safety around large commercial vehicles. Um, you're hearing more and more, too, I, about you know people running the, the lights on a school bus, um, trying to pass on the right side. So large commercial vehicles in general need to be taught more, and it needs to be a mandatory part of our education system for our young drivers coming up.
1: Have you ever owned your own truck?
0: No, I haven't. I've always been a company driver.
1: So there's definitely some advantages and disadvantages both ways. As a company driver, what's been the biggest advantage?
0: Uh, the biggest advantage to me is, is that uh, if I break down, company puts me in a hotel room, and I don't have to worry about the bell. Um, I think as an owner-operator, what's the way the economy is going, the cost of trucks, the cost of fuel, uh, the, the rising cost of tolls, It's becoming very hard now to be an owner-operator. Back in the 80s, you could be an owner-operator. You made really good money, uh, but not so much today. I mean, the average truck payment on a brand-new truck is about $3,200 a month. That's a lot of money.
1: So what's going to bring more women into the industry?
0: I think just we need a lot more awareness, uh, and we need to be able to work more with uh, carriers, um, changing maybe how they do business. It's time for them to step outside of the box and do a little bit of thinking. Um, Women don't like to be, as a general rule, like to be out as long as as a guy will stay out. Um, If they have children, they have a need to be home more. Uh, Women are very concerned about safety when they're out on the road. Um, And in some cases, um, it's it's a little bit different uh, issues than the, the guys have when they're out on the road. So I think we need to address some of those. And also the fear of, They think the truck's so big and, oh, I can't drive that. Yes, you can. You'd be amazed at what I can see through the mirrors of my truck. So it's just—it's breaking those barriers down.
1: So you, as a federation, is spending some time really developing and and making a scholarship available. Could you tell us about that?
0: We were very excited last year in March when we announced our first scholarship uh, with Crossroads Ottawa um because we felt cost is a big barrier not just for women but for everybody the cost of the schools and the fact that because we're not recognized as a skilled trade uh osap funding and that is not available so if you don't have the money you have to get a loan somewhere so you're looking at a nine to ten thousand dollar loan and then if you're off work six to eight weeks doing the training you also have to be able to live so that increases you know, what you're applying for, for a loan to, in order to start this industry. So we have those kind of issues. So we thought, how can we try to help somebody uh, and get a start? Um, We felt that, you know, just trying to do a scholarship fund where we were only giving $500 or $1,000 with the course of our schools up here in Canada was just not going to be it. So I took a long shot and uh, I approached some schools and said, this is what I'd like to do. I need your help. What do you think? Can we do this? Uh, Ken Adams was the very first school to uh, jump on board. Um, now we have Phil Fletcher from Chet Academy, which uh, we're getting ready to do the interviews of those ladies and, and, announce who the winner is very shortly of the one we just run. And we have two more schools that have hopped on. Um, so we'll be doing two more school scholarships very soon.
1: That's really exciting. It's going to help a lot of people. You must be really proud of that work that you've done.
0: Yeah, we're very excited about it. um, And we're hoping to do more soon.
1: What can women who are professional drivers do to encourage other women to join the industry?
0: I think one of the biggest challenges is women are very, um, they don't like to talk about what they do because they don't want it to be men against women. And they're starting to see that um, there's too much of that. But what they don't realize is that simply sharing their story, you know, the job that they do, how they got into the industry, um, you know, when you start talking to a lot of the female drivers out here, we're one of the guys uh, and they don't want to be treated differently. They fought long and hard to be treated as an equal. And sometimes um, they they get the impression or they feel that it's being men pitted against the women again um, and they don't like that. they don't want the world going that way.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think that regardless of what social issue you're looking at, we need to focus on a spirit of cooperation, not competition between different groups. Because in my opinion, when you look at the success of humans historically, it's when we work together that we have all benefited. And really, at the end of the day, if you talk to anybody all they really usually want to do is take care of their families, raise their children and provide a better life for their community, you know, their children and maybe the community at large around them. And so we just got to get away from this divisiveness and start working on how do we cooperate?
0: That's exactly it. And, you know, I look at it, you know, another big uh, hot topic seems to be restrooms, um, the lack of truck parking. Um, And you'll hear people say about women, 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 Guys have to use a washroom, too. Guys want a safe place to park, too. So this isn't a a male-female issue. This is an industry issue and something the industry as a whole should be coming together on and saying, enough is enough. Our drivers, regardless of gender, need safe parking and proper facilities.
1: And I think the general public needs to take a step back and look at the industry in a different way. I don't think people truly get how integral the trucking industry is to every single aspect of our life. Nothing gets manufactured. Nothing will arrive at your local store. None of the things you need to survive and to thrive happen without trucks. So we have to be supportive of this industry.
0: That's exactly right. You're correct there. When you really think about it, the only thing that doesn't come on a truck is the air you breathe. I had a conversation with a lady at a recent event, and her loathing of truck drivers was beyond anything that I've experienced in a very long time. And uh, I said to her, Well, if that's the case, you need to take off everything that you have on your body because it all came by a truck. And when you go home, take all the furniture out of your house. In fact, you won't even have a house because. All those, every board, every sheet of rock, all comes by truck. And like I like to tell people, there's good and bad in every industry and every work environment. It doesn't matter what you look at. We have good and bad. Stop focusing so much on the bad of our industry and focus on the positive. And maybe we can start changing what's bad.
1: If there's one thing you want listeners to take away from today's conversation, Shelly, what's that one thing?
0: I think the most important thing is is that if you have a a desire for or a goal, don't give up on it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Um, This industry has so much to offer right from warehousing dispatch right up and through to drivers if that's what you would like to be. There's so much opportunity for growth. And our industry does a lot of good to the community. We are very big on giving back to our local communities. And I think that's a lot of things that people don't understand uh, between Special Olympics convoys, uh, trucking for a cure convoys. uh, All those different aspects are drivers. That's not our companies. That's drivers giving back to where they live. We really are good people. And we just want to be treated like everybody
1: else. You've been listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Shelley juvenile Hesh, CEO of the Women's Trucking Federation of Canada and a professional driver for over 30 years. To learn more, go to wtfc.ca. Links are in the show notes. Shelley, thank you for being on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's been a pleasure.
1: Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Go to heavydutypartsreport.com today to subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review on the podcast player of your choice. I'd like to remind everyone to focus on cost per mile over purchase price, and (coughs) let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling.